Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am your podcast host, Ken Levine. This is episode 12. Thanks so much for being here. Okay, uh a variety of topics to be discussed on the program today. Number one, this is a bizarre television story. David and I at one time managed to slip a show onto the NBC television network that they had never seen before they aired it. We'll talk about that. Also, I was unceremoniously thrown off of The Dating Game. I'll give you the backstory on that and an episode of Cheers that David and I once wrote made it into a big article in Playboy magazine. I'll fill you in on that story as well and I'm going to introduce you to maybe the strangest, maybe the weirdest radio personality who has ever been. All that and much more on episode 12 of Hollywood and the Fine. Okay, this is going to sound like an unbelievable story, but it's true. Imagine slipping an episode of television onto a major network without the network having seen it. Well, this actually happened when we were on Frasier, and it probably will never, ever happen again because of this incident. It was year two of Frasier, and my partner David Isaacs and I wrote a two-parter called Adventures in Paradise. It was the episode part one where Frasier and Joe Beth Williams, his uh, girlfriend de jour, uh, go off to Bora Bora. And they stay at this remote resort at the end of the world after taking two planes and three boats and four cars to get there. And they arrive, and Frazier walks out to the patio and notices in the very next room standing on the patio is... Lilith, his ex-wife. This actually happened to one of the producers of the show. At the time, he was on Golden Girls, and he took uh, a long vacation and went off to Bora Bora, and he finally arrives after 27 hours of travel to this resort, and he is standing out on his balcony, and there is the showrunner of Golden Girls <laughs> in the next cabin. So this stems from real life, which most of the really good stories do. And then we thought for part two, which ends up with Frazier dealing with Lilith, and then at the end of the show, he goes back to Bora Bora. 
Well, we thought, wouldn't it be really funny if for part two, Frazier walks out onto the balcony and there in the next balcony is Diane. We said, yeah, that would totally be great. What a tremendous surprise. But we figured even if we got Shelley Long to do it, NBC was going to spoil the surprise. You know they would. You know that they would use that as the promo because it certainly is promo worthy, the fact that Shelley Long makes a guest appearance on Frasier. So what we decided to do was this. First of all, we got Shelley Long to agree to do it, and she was really terrific. And we pre-filmed that scene several days earlier. Then we had an alternate ending that took the exact same amount of time. And that's what we filmed in front of the audience. That's what we filmed when the network guy was there to observe. They put the show together with that alternate ending and sent it in to NBC. And the standards and practices people looked at it and everybody looked at it and it was fine and ready to go. And then... On the day it was supposed to air, that morning, the producers said, oh, we, we noticed there was a flaw. There was like a color thing. We made a color correction. Here is the new version, and this one is perfect. And for that version, we slipped in the Shelley Long scene. And again, it was the exact same amount of time, so there was no change in the format or the commercial placement or anything else. It airs on the East Coast. And yes, it was a big surprise, and everybody loved it, and NBC went fucking batshit. They couldn't believe that we would do such a thing and slip something onto the network that no one had seen, much less approved. Well, it ran on the West Coast as well. They had really no choice. And, of course, it was extremely well-received, but the showrunners, uh, (laughs) Peter Casey, David Lee, and David Angel, uh, certainly got slapped on the wrist for it, but they maintained, and it's true, there is no way that they would have been able to maintain the surprise element had NBC received the show first. How do you think the promo department puts together its promos? By looking at the final version. And how many times have you seen this with a television show or a movie, for that matter, when you look at the trailers, where some of the best moments are revealed in the promo? I mean, you talk about spoiler alerts, some of the best scenes, some of the best twists, all of those things are right there in the promo, killing the shows. And the promo department, by and large, you know, they don't care. I mean, if the promo department sees an episode of Frasier, and even if there's one frame of film of Shelley Long as Diane in the show, that's what they're going to use. So in that case, we were able to pull one over on NBC, but boy, were they mad.
Do you recognize that theme? Well, of course you do. It is the theme from The Dating Game. Actually, it is a song called Spanish Flea by Herb Alpert, but it was used as the theme of The Dating Game back in the 60s, and I happen to be on The Dating Game. In fact, I have the distinction of not only being on The Dating Game, but being thrown off of The Dating Game And here is that story. Again, it's the late 60s, and I'm like 16 years old, and I hear that they are looking for contestants for the dating game. And at the time, the dating game was on ABC every afternoon, weekdays, and it was a very popular show, and you've probably seen it. I mean, you know the format where a uh, young bachelorette Uh, ask questions of three eligible bachelors, and based on their answers to these really stupid, inane questions, uh, she picks one, they go out on a date with a chaperone, yada, yada. Anyway, uh, I go down to uh, Hollywood and uh, audition, and basically what it is is like about 40 of us in a room, and they fire dating game questions at us. Now, before I signed up, I said to one of the staff members, I have to tell you right up front that my father at the time was the sales manager of KABC Radio in Los Angeles, and the dating game was on the American Broadcasting Company. And I said, if there's any kind of conflict as a result, tell me now. I won't bother you, and I won't waste your time or mine. I'll just go home. And they said, no, no, it's okay. In fact, there have even been occasions where our own staff members have had to fill in and do the dating game. So you're cool. Great. Okay. So again, I'm answering these idiotic questions with 39 other eligible bachelors. And I go home, and the next day, I get a call inviting me to be on the dating game. So it was very cool. I went down about uh, three weeks later, and they said, wear a nice jacket, but don't make it uh, gray or check, you know, because any kind of strange pattern is going to look bizarre on television. So I said, okay. And for reasons that escape me totally, um, I don't know why, I got a green sports jacket. It looks like I had just won the Masters. Uh, I mean, this is uh, becoming a recurring theme, by the way, in this podcast, is my horrible fashion sense. Anyway, um, I get this green jacket, and I go down to ABC, which was at Prospect and Talmadge in East Hollywood, a spot that you cannot get to from anywhere. And uh, the way they did it was they filmed three or four shows at a time. So I think in this particular instance, they were filming three shows that day. So there were nine of us bachelors, and we were in a green room, and uh, it was very up and up. We never did see the bachelorettes. We never did see the questions, but uh, at one point, they walked us down to the set and they did kind of a run through and they walked us through. This is where you'll be sitting. And when the host Jim Lang does this, you'll get up and you'll walk around and you'll go here and you'll stand there and then you'll exit here, etc., etc. Okay. So we have our run through and then we go and do the show. Now, my point of view on this whole thing was 
not so much to get the date, but to get some laughs, to score and be entertaining for America. I might have even had a girlfriend at the time, but I doubt it. I'm pretty sure I didn't. Uh, So anyway, she asked these questions, and I happened to be pretty funny. I remember like one of the questions was, uh, if I were a fruit, what fruit would you want me to be? And I said, an orange. And she said, why? And I said, so I could squeeze your navel. I mean, just stupid ass stuff like that. Another one was, uh, would you rather take me to a drive-in, a love-in, or a sit-in? And I said, a drive-in, because I could love-in and sit-in at the same time. Anyway, very funny. I also called bachelor number two a blimp, and I didn't get picked. And um, the date I missed out on was a chance to uh, cruise around Newport Bay with the turtles in some little cruise ship or something. I I don't know. Uh, Years later, uh, I became friends with Howard Kalin, and I even asked him about that. And whether or not he remembered the occasion, he said no. He had no recollection of it. For all I know, uh, it never actually happened. But I got a bunch of sweaters and uh, 900 tubes of Gleam toothpaste, and I went home. The show aired, And apparently I was very funny because the next day they called again and asked if I would be on their alumni show. I was smart enough to wear a blue jacket that afternoon. Uh, So I went back a couple of weeks later and uh, filmed another episode of The Dating Game. And again, I was very funny. I don't exactly remember what I said. Um, I made some joke about... uh, being a rabbi and uh, something about being an Elvis impersonator. I don't know what I said. Um, I'm 16 years old. I'm an idiot. I have no idea what I said on those shows. But again, uh, apparently uh, I scored. It was very funny. And I got a call two days later. Would I go on the nighttime edition of the dating game? Now, this was a whole different ball game. By the way, I lost uh, the second time too. That time I missed out on being the Grand Marshal at the Lancaster Date Festival or some idiotic uh, event like that. But anyway, for the nighttime show, the winners got to go on elaborate trips to Barbados and Hawaii and Paris and Tahiti. So it's like, yeah, I am totally all in for going on the nighttime dating game. So uh, wearing the blue jacket this time, I again returned to Prospect and Talmadge for the uh, nighttime dating game. And again, there are like six bachelors. They're going to film two of the episodes at a time. And I have the run through. Now, at this point, there was an engineer strike at ABC Radio and Television. And as a result, a lot of the executives then had to man the cameras or be engineers on the radio, et cetera, et cetera. And as we were going through the run-through, one of the cameramen happened to be a, a salesman or some executive at KABC Radio and recognized me and mentioned it to somebody who passed on the news to Chuck Barris, who was the uh, founder of the dating game. It was his company. 
um, when he wasn't a spy for the FBI. And uh, um, so they came in and got me and threw me off the show. And I said, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. Uh, I, I was told from your own staff members that even staff people had to fill in from time to time. They said, nope, sorry, conflict of interest, I was gone. They just grabbed a guy from the audience who wore a nicer blue suit than mine, and uh, and that was it. And I lost out on a trip to, like, Hawaii or something, and I was really, really bummed, as you can imagine. And now you flash forward just a couple of years, and it's 1969, and I am a sports intern at KMPC Radio, and Jim Lang, who was the host of The Dating Game, and also a disc jockey, uh, for years he was a disc jockey up in San Francisco at KSFO, well, he came down to be a DJ on KMPC in Los Angeles. And one day... Early on in his stint, um, I turned a corner and walked down the hallway and encounter him, and he remembered me. He actually remembered some of the answers to my questions. And I said, um, yeah, well, uh, they threw me off the dating game. And, and he said, why? And I explained the situation. And uh, the next day, I'm at KMPC, and um, I get a call. From the dating game. Hi. Hey, how would you like to be on the alumni show? And I said, is this the nighttime version you want me to be on? And they said, no. And I said, go fuck yourself. And so that was the end of my dating game career. But I still have 47 tubes of Gleam toothpaste. One drawback to being a writer on staff of a sitcom is that all of your meals are brought in. I mean, to save time, that's what they do, and that's great, except that you're eating off of styrofoam. And if you do that for 30 years, uh, you develop a certain aversion to take out food, and that is me. I can no longer eat takeout food. There's not a chance that I'll be driving home and my wife is going to say, hey, could you stop by and pick up some Chinese food? No. Eating out of boxes, not a chance. Reheating food, not a chance. I have to eat food hot. It has to be on a plate, and that is why Blue Apron is such a godsend. Now, you know about Blue Apron, right? It is the service where you sign up and they will send you right to your door the freshest ingredients. You put it together. You cook your own meal. You follow the instructions. It takes less than one hour and you have a gorgeous home-cooked meal, steaming hot on plates, Great variety. You can make simple dishes. You can make exotic dishes. You can do it once a week, three times a week. However, it works for you. It's called Blue Apron, and I want you to try it free. All you have to do if you want three free meals, three of them, is just go to blueapron.com slash Hollywood. That's it. Free shipping as well. Just go to blueapron.com slash Hollywood and you will never eat off of styrofoam. Hollywood and the vine. 
this may be the strangest radio story you will ever hear. Back in 1959 in Cleveland, Ohio, there was a disc jockey who called himself Mad Daddy. His real name was Pete Myers, and he was a huge sensation. These were the early days of rock and roll where disc jockeys had all kinds of freedom, and he created this bizarre, macabre character. It was like he was insane, and he had echo chambers, and he rhymed everything, and he had this amazing ability to be able to take any kind of copy and turn it into poetry. He would rhyme everything, and you would give him a commercial, and just off the top of his head, he would come up with these unbelievable rhymes. Anyway, he was a huge sensation back in Cleveland in the late 50s, and he moved on to New York, and he did the same act at a station called WINS in New York City, and then he also spent some time at another New York radio station, WNEW. Now, WNEW would not let him do the Mad Daddy act. So what you are about to hear is Mad Daddy and then Pete Myers on WNEW. You will not believe that it's the same guy. Give a listen to this. Bubbles of Oobladi, Margie Rayburn's unexpectedly. Look at this goobity fiddly flop, the chemicals say it's headed for the top. <laughs> We go with the wavy gravy jars to visit Grandma up on Mars. <laughs> Did you ever see a Martian beard? The whiskers are purple and curly and weird. And two faces are harder than just one to shave. So two-headed Martians just naturally rave. rave, rave. For the cooler, more comfortable shaving they get with push-button lather and blade by Gillette. Gillette. <laughs> Yeah, the Gillette Adjustables made lots of pals among the little green men of the Martian Canal. Rippy-dippy-doo-dow, scooby-doo. You can and should, that's try it too, because whether it's peach fuzz or whiskers like wire, I'm sure you'll find the chicks admire a clean, close shave, and that's what you get when you harvest your shrubbery with adjustable Gillette. Now you take it from Daddy, because this ain't no jive. The Gillette Adjustables, $1.95. Self-assured... Good looking and cool. cool. That's what you'll be when you follow my rule. Blade and lather. <laughs> Shave just once that way and say, I think you'll find you'd rather. Yeah, indeedy, it's your best shaving bet. Lather cream and adjustable. <laughs> Gillette! Come on in, the living's prime. The Southgate Festival of Summer Living. Okay, you have some idea of just who Mad Daddy is? Well, now take a listen. This, believe it or not, is the same guy. Round and round it goes, the wonderful sound of music on WNEW, 24 hours a day. 
13 minutes away from 6, bumper to bumper style is where we are right now. Pete Myers with you, advising you to stay where you are for a check on the news at 6 o'clock, and then William B. Williams at quarter past. All right? Okay. Cy Zentner in the band, and the Johnny Man Singers here for you. Walter Donaldson's Little White Lies is done by Cy Zentner and Johnny Mann. Nine minutes to go before we wrap up the show, and we have two exciting sounds here at the tag end of Wednesday. Here's one of them. Miss Gloria Lynn and the Indian Love Call. When I'm calling you All right, that's our show for today. I gotta go, but I'll be back tomorrow at 3 o'clock in the interim. The news and the weather and the voices of today's top newsmakers and the sports and that sort of jazz. And then William B. Williams at quarter past in the make-believe ballroom. Oh, I forgot to mention, incidentally, Julius LaRosa, who provided our show capper for today, is at the Copacabana. And luck to you, Julie. And uh, what's the old Italian expression, you know? Mazel tov, that's what I was thinking of. Bye for now, we'll see you tomorrow. This is WNEW New York AM and FM. Pete Myers saying thank you so much for listening. How bizarre is that? Well, for a while, he was going back and forth between WNEW as Pete Myers and WINS as Mad Daddy. And he was very successful at both stations. The story, unfortunately, does not have a happy ending. In 1969, he took his own life. But what a creative, strange individual, Pete Myers, Mad Daddy. This is Hollywood and Levine, coming back with more right after this. Do you know who Wade Boggs is? Well, if you're a baseball fan, you certainly do. Wade Boggs was the third baseman for the Boston Red Sox for many years and is now in the Hall of Fame. He also spent some time with the New York Yankees. But for one shining day... He was a guest star on an episode of Cheers that my partner David Isaacs and I wrote. And there's kind of an interesting story behind this. Uh, The outcome of the story, we really didn't know for a couple of years. Anyway, this is the story. It was the end of the season. It's 1988. And NBC, as they had a want to do at the last minute, would order an extra show or two. So they ordered one last show, and David and I got picked to write it, and we're sitting with the Charles brothers, and the idea that we came up with was a show called Bar Wars, and this would be a practical joke war between Cheers and their rival bar, Gary's Old Town Tavern. So we were thinking back and forth of different stunts that Cheers could pull on them and they could pull on Cheers. And one of the ideas that somebody came up with was, well, what about if a sports star from Boston were to walk in the bar and everybody thought that he was an imposter? Everybody thought that Gary had gotten this lookalike to come in the bar and to make everybody look like an idiot as they fawned all over him. So what they were going to do was pants the guy and chase him out of the bar. Okay, seemed like a fun idea. Now the question is, who do you get? Well, at the time, Wade Boggs was pretty much the most famous sports star in Boston. 
And so we said, oh, let's see if we can get Wade Boggs. Well, it was the end of the season, as we mentioned, the end of the television season, and we were filming this in March. And in March, as you baseball fans know, it is spring training. And at the time, Wade Boggs was in spring training in Winter Haven, Florida, with the Boston Red Sox. So we figure, well, there's no way we're going to get him. He's obviously busy. But we decided, you know what, just for... Just for giggles and grins, let's have our casting agent try to track him down and see if somehow Wade Boggs can do the show. And an hour later, we get a call back that he'll do it. Apparently, he talked to the manager and said, can I take three days off? And when you're an all-star, the way Wade Boggs was... Uh, you know, you get a little more leeway. You know, if you're just a rookie trying to make the club, I don't think you get three days off. So he said, okay, I'll be there. And we provided first-class plane ticket, and we put him up in a nice hotel, and we brought him down to the stage one day. We didn't film this in front of the audience. We just uh, uh, collected everybody and filmed his scene, and that was it. Meanwhile, David and I are thinking, wow, we are hot shit. I mean, here we come up with the name Wade Boggs, and an hour later, this guy is on a plane heading to Hollywood. The power that we have. Also, the the power of Cheers, that he would be dying to do an episode of Cheers, so much so that he would be willing to miss training. Okay, show airs, a couple of years go by, and suddenly there is a big article in Playboy magazine by a young woman named Margot Adams. And it turns out Miss Adams, who lives in Orange County, California, was Wade Boggs' mistress. They had had an affair for any number of years, and this article was her expose. And in the article, one of the things she talks about is that she got a call one day from Wade Boggs from Winter Haven, Florida, saying, hey, good news, I'm going to be in L.A. for three days. So now we realize the real reason he agreed to do this was not to guest on Cheers, but was to have another couple of days with his slam piece. So it also mentioned in the article that he said to her before he left to go back to the ball club, could he borrow a pair of her panties? And when she said, why? He said, because I promised the guys on the club that I could get a pair of Kirstie Alley's panties. Okay, this is in the article. So I read the article first thing in the morning. I get to the office, and it's about 9.30, and I read the article, and I think to myself, well, wait a minute, when, when's the cast going to show up? They're probably rolling in right about now. So I grabbed the magazine. I went down to the stage, stage 25, and I saw Kirstie Alley coming in, and I said, oh, Kirstie! hey, there is a, an article in Playboy magazine that you're mentioned in. And she said, oh, really? And I said, yeah, here. And I gave her the article, 
And I sat with her because I wanted to see how she was going to react to this. And to her credit, when she got to that part, she was just like, what the fuck? Uh, But she was very cool about it. And it became then a running bit for the rest of the run of Cheers. Maybe once, twice a year, I would go up to Kirsty and I would say something to the effect that, hey, Kirsty, uh, could you do me a favor? I'm going to my 20th high school reunion. And uh, during graduation, I promised a bunch of the guys that I could come back with a pair of Kirsty Alley's panties. So could I borrow your panties? She always laughed, and then I laughed, and together we had a good laugh, and then she said, never. Anyway, that is my Wade Boggs story, and then in later years, I, of course, became a baseball announcer, and I would see him when I was with the Orioles and also with the Mariners, he was still playing, and I would come into the clubhouse and, hey, Wait, it's me, Ken Levine. Remember, I'm one of the writers of the Cheers episode you were in. He always glared at me. For some reason, uh, that did not (laughs) help our relationship at all. Yet, the very final Cheers episode that aired when we had a big party at the Cheers bar in Boston... Wade Boggs was there. So I guess the free food and free booze and, hey, who knows what single women were hanging around that night. This is Hollywood and Levine coming back with more after this. All righty. That will do it for episode 12 of Hollywood and Levine. Thanks very much for listening. Also, our thanks to Adam Butler, to Susie Meister Butler, to Howard Hoffman Butler, and to John Wolfert Butler. And if you haven't subscribed already, please do that. And if you could see it in your heart to give this podcast a five-star review, I would certainly appreciate it. Okay, that'll do it for this time. Back with more. This has been... Hollywood.